you have your Bibles today, would you open to Psalm 106, the 106th Psalm. Psalm 106. As you know, I generally prefer to read the entire text of a psalm, but today I will refrain from doing so. Um, We're going to focus in on verse 13, 14, and 15, and then we will pick up on various verses as we go along. Psalm 106, we'll begin with verse 13 in just a moment. In this psalm, what we find is an account of Israel's history from being delivered in bondage in Egypt up through the wilderness journeys into the entry into the promised land. The psalmist recounts a history and then recounts the sinfulness of the people, admits the sinfulness of the people. He gives a detailed description, quite honestly, of aspects of rebellion of those who step away from God's will, who walk away from the Lord. He paints the picture of a people who willingly step away from their God. Then he explains God's response. And he also mentions those who are still obligated and faithful to God, how they should respond in such situations. As we look at Psalm 106, there are three things I want us to pay attention to. One being the emaciated soul, one the exalted Savior, and the last the embattled supporter. The reality is this though, to do justice to the psalm, there's no way we will cover all of it. So today we're going to do point one. Next week we'll see. Maybe two and three, but at least two. So today we're only going to cover the first aspect of this message, and I tell you that for this reason. God's response and His faithfulness, His grace, and our responsibility as children of God in light of the lives of those who wander from God, that's all next week. So if you walk away today thinking, man, that dude's a downer. Well, yeah, you got the downer part today, all right? Psalm 106, let's begin here with verse 13. They soon forgot his works, they did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Now there's the key that we're going to camp out on. God gave them their request, but sent leanness into into their soul. My friends, today I want us to focus in on one aspect of what the psalmist reveals, and that is the emaciated soul. The reality is, for some people, they walk through this world with an emaciated soul. Their soul is sickly. They are spiritually weak and wasting away. They exist in a state in which they have a leanness of soul. Now, some of your Bibles there may read, God sent a wasting disease among them, a disease that caused a wasting away. That's the same connotation of a leanness of soul, a state of wasting, of just deterioration, of weakness. Now, what's directly referenced here, you find in Numbers 11, there you find a physical leanness, a physical wasting disease. The Israelites were in the wilderness. God was providing for them. God was meeting their needs. They got sick of manna. They wanted something else. God sent quail. The people grumbled and complained against God continually. He sent so much quail. They ate quail. And the Bible says it became loathsome in their mouths. And a great plague fell upon them. So that's the direct reference there to the physical consequences of their state of being or their attitude. But let's let's just look past. Let's dig deeper. Let's move past the physical problem to look at the deeper and more serious spiritual problem. What's referred to here is the spiritual state of the people. 
They suffered from a soul that was diseased and wasting. A soul that suffered leanness. I want you to know this morning, it is very possible for people to have a sick soul. To be spiritually sick. Not just physically sick, not just mentally sick, but spiritually people can be sick. It is possible for us to be sickly of soul. What's referred to here is the diseased soul. When the text says there was a leanness of soul, what's referred to, what is meant, it's a state of spiritual illness that produces an inward wasting away. So as we talk about the emaciated soul today, the leanness of soul, what we're talking about is the person who abides in a state of spiritual illness where there's an inward wasting away. Let's just pull this apart specifically. He gave them the request, but sent leanness into their soul. Let's look at leanness. This that word. It's a transliteration of Hebrew, razon. It means leanness. It means wasting away. It means an illness that causes emaciation and weakness. What's described here is simply this. The state of spiritual wanting and weakness. It is a state of just being spiritually weak and ill. The people were spiritually weak and ill. They might have looked healthy on the outside. They might have looked vibrant on the outside. They might have looked like they had life in their hands, but inwardly, they were spiritually ill. They were in a state of wantingness and wanting. They were debilitated. They were emaciated. They were weak spiritually. A weak spiritual state. A person who abides in a state of spiritual weakness and spiritual sickness. That's what's being mentioned here. Now, these are not the heathen nations. These are not the Gentile nations. This is Israel, God's chosen people, under the leadership of Moses, freed from bondage, being led into the wilderness. This is God's people who God says they were spiritually weak and wasting away. They were spiritually weak, and in spiritual weakness, they were spiritually dissatisfied with their God. So it's a state of spiritual weakness and dissatisfaction. That's leanness. The text says that it was sent to them, but God sent leanness. That word sent is very interesting because it means what we would think, to send, to send forth. It means to depart from. It means to let stray, to allow someone to wander from their proper place, to be divorced from them. So when it says God sent a leanness, it just doesn't mean God sent something. It means God allowed them to wander from their proper place. It is the child of God who, rather than abiding in his presence and in his fellowship and under his blessedness, walks away from God to experience a spiritual weakness because God allows them to wander where they desire to wander, to be where they want to be. God allows them to choose to walk away from him and therefore be divorced from his presence. That's what the word sin really means there. Those with a leanness of spirit are those who are sickly of soul because they have departed from their proper place with God. They have chosen to step away from the Lord, to wander away from his presence, and now they are weak spiritually because he allowed them to do it. And they have become divorced from his presence. That's what it means when it says God sent this. It is he allowed them to have what they wanted. God did not cause a state of spiritual bankruptcy. God did not afflict them with spiritual weakness. God allowed them to do what they wanted to do, and it resulted in such a state. That's what it means when it says God sent this. He allows those who reject him to reject him. He allows those who turn their back on him to wander from him. He allows people to leave their proper place in relation to him. Verse 15 starts out this way. Look what it says. And he gave them their request. Whose request was it to walk away from God? The people. So God answered their request. You have my permission. Leave me if you want to. 
God does not make any of us abide in his presence. God does not strong arm us to remain in fellowship with him. God does not force us to abide with him. He says, if you don't love me enough to stay and you want to go, go. If it's your desire to leave, leave. I grant your request. Do what you want to do. Walk away if you want to walk away. See, when we talk about people who have a leanness of soul, those who are spiritually weak and spiritually ill, what we recognize is that these are people that God has allowed to follow their own path, even though that path is a path of disobedience and rebellion against Him. It's transgression against Him, but He allows them to do it because that's their desire. So He allows them to step away. Psalm 125.5 says this, As for such, the lean of soul, turn aside to their crooked ways, and the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. In other words, God says, do you want to walk the crooked paths? Do you want to step off the path of righteousness? Go ahead. I won't make you stay with me. Go ahead. He allows the person with the lean soul to become lean of soul in that he allows them to step away. He granted their request. And in this state, that person is divorced from the blessedness of God and abiding in God's presence, the grace of living in his will and all that comes from it. So the person who has a leanness of soul, that person who has stepped away from God and now is spiritually weak, they're just abiding in the state they wanted. They got their request. They walked away from God. They stepped out of his blessedness. They walked away from his grace. They stepped out of his will. It says that God sent a leanness, it says of soul, nephesh, that simply is the inner being, the essence of the heart, it's who you are, it is that spiritual being within you. So what that makes clear to us then is this, it is very possible for each of us to abide with a spiritual leanness and wantedness in our innermost being. That's what the verse really says. This state of existence really, I think, happens for two reasons. So today we're talking about the sickly soul, that person who has a leanness of soul, that person who is spiritually weak. And I think you see this happen for two reasons. One, this state of existence comes, well, simply from being alienated from God in unbelief and condemnation. The reality is you're not a child of God. You have never come to a place of redemption. You've not been born again into his family. You've not been redeemed out of sin. In fact, you're not simply spiritually weak. You're spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. So you can't be vibrant spiritually. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 says that's our natural state of existence. There it says... You who God made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Our natural state is spiritual death. We are spiritually dead before we meet Jesus. But through Jesus Christ, God creates within us spiritual life. We're born again into spiritual life. So if there's a person in our lives, someone we know, and they're walking out here away from God in spiritual dissatisfaction, in spiritual bankruptcy, with a spiritual leanness, it very well could be they don't know Jesus. They are dead in their trespasses and sin. There's no spiritual life in them to begin with. They never had it. Because it's only upon repentance and faith in Christ that the soul is quickened and spiritual life is imparted. And they've never come to that place. But I do believe there are those who are truly born-again believers. And they abide in this state of spiritual leanness. This state of existence really results, though, from their own waywardness. God didn't leave them, they left God. They walked away from their heavenly father for whatever reason, and now they've found themselves in such an emaciated spiritual state, they just have a spiritual dissatisfaction, a spiritual wantedness, they are spiritually bankrupt, they just feel spiritually empty, not because there was no redemption, but because they left the father of redemption who saved them and redeemed them to begin with. They've walked away from him out into the far country far enough that there is a spiritual wantedness and leanness. Isaiah 59.2 speaks of what happens. Isaiah says there, But your iniquities have brought separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear you. We wander into sin. We 
get on those crooked paths. We step away from God, and in our sin, we break our fellowship with God, and we indulge sin, we live in sin, we entertain unconfessed sin to the point that our fellowship with God is broke, our closeness with God is destroyed, we're estranged from our Heavenly Father. We no longer sense Him. We're in a spiritually weakened state. We're spiritually emaciated. Relationally, sure, we're still a child of God, but functionally, we abide in a state of spiritual weakness because we walked away from our Heavenly Father. That's a leanness of soul. That's what the psalmist describes here. Now, this leanness of soul, this spiritual weakness, this sickly state, the reality is, when it happens to us, it's our own fault. You see, spiritual leanness is a result of personal action and attitude. When I find myself in a spiritually lean state, it's not because God has proven himself unfaithful. It's because of my own actions and my own attitudes. I've placed myself in a position to be spiritually weakened, to be spiritually sick. My own actions, my own attitudes bring me to this place. That's why it's described here, back with verse 13 and 14. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Their own actions and attitudes brought them to the place of a lean soul. Look at what was said there. They forgot. They forgot his works. What happens? What action and attitude leads me to a place of spiritual weakness? Forgetting God and his works. That phrase, soon forgot, you could take that to simply mean they forgot. But if you look into the real transliteration of the word, you find out it means this, to deliberately ignore or cease to care. It's not that, oh, I forgot about that appointment. It's this idea of, I deliberately ignored your appointment, or I just didn't care to show up. That's the connotation there of soon forgot. They deliberately ignored God and they ceased to care about God and his standards. It's not that they forgot God was there. These are the Israelites, God's people. Moses is leading them. Aaron is there as the priest. They didn't forget about God. They just didn't care. They had no real true regard for God. They ignored God. That's what happened. See, wasting weight spiritually, my friends, is a result of ignoring the authority of God in our lives. When I will ignore who God is and his rightful place, it leads me to a place of spiritual leanness. I will waste away and become spiritually weak when I deliberately ignore God and his rightful place. Spiritual leanness comes upon me when I cease to care about God and his sovereign plan, his divine will. When I cease to care, he has standards of holiness he's called me to. When I ignore God and cease to care about who he is and his standards, his will, and his plan, it leads me to a place of spiritual weakness and sickness. It says that they did not wait for his counsel. That is, they ignored God's wisdom. Not only did they deliberately ignore God and not really care, but they deliberately ignored the wisdom of God. They purposely ignored the truth of God. God's word, the counsel of God's word, that which Moses spoke, they just ignored that wisdom. And what we find in our own lives, if we enter into a time of spiritual leanness, it happens because we have chosen to ignore God's wisdom, the counsel of God's word, his divine instruction. We ignore it for the sake of personal desire or whatever it might be, and it leads us to a place of spiritual wantedness. Spiritual leanness never comes upon a person who is vested in the truth of God's word and abides under his teachings and follows his wisdom. But when I ignore his wisdom and walk away from it, now I enter into a state of spiritual weakness. These are those people who, rather than being vested in God's plan, they're intent on following their own selfish desires or personal agendas. They're just having this idea that says, God, I know you're divine. I know you're sovereign. I know you say you have a plan, but mine's better. I don't need your wisdom and your plan, God. I've got the course already mapped out. I think I'll do what I want to do. And in stepping into that, you step into spiritual weakness. 
Verse 14 speaks of lusting. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, that is to lust after the flesh. That is seeking fulfillment in fleshly desires, following carnal desires. Rather than seeking fulfillment in God and who He is and who He's called you to be in Him, it is stepping away from that and saying, I will find my fulfillment in fleshly and carnal desires. Simply put, it's loving the things of the world more than you love God. It's falling in love with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and chasing after these things. And when I chase after those things of the world for fulfillment, it puts me in a place of spiritual leanness and weakness. Verse 14 says they tested God in the desert. They put God to the test. They tested God's long-suffering. Transgression, that is rebellion against His word and His plan, His authority, always puts God to the test, and they put God to the test. They pushed the patience of God. You know how the Israelites did time and again, time and again, and one affliction after another, God brought to draw them back and draw them back to the point where He said, I'm just going to kill them all, and Moses had to step in and say, whoa, 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 don't kill them, God. They tested God. God, will you really be true to your own character? Will you condemn sin? Will you punish sin? They tested and pushed at him, pushed at him in his patience. And the reality is this. Those people who step away from God to live in a leanness of soul, a spiritually weakened state, are those who often will push God to the limits. Will God stay true to his character, to his holiness? Is he going to pour wrath upon the unredeemed and chasten his own children? These are those who abide in rebellion against his standards, against his will, pressing his patience to the test to the, avoid, to the point that he will eventually give that rebel exactly what he or she wants. They'll have the consequences of their rebellion. He will give them over to a state of spiritual bankruptcy and dissatisfaction. He'll let them have what they seek. They'll get to that point. You see, ignoring God's standards and His wisdom, chasing after fulfillment in the world, it brings a leanness of soul, a spiritual wantedness, a state of spiritual sickness where we are weak. And it's never because God leaves us. It's always because we deliberately ignore Him or cease to care about Him and His authority. It's because we ignore His wisdom the standards he'd set forth in his word. It's because we seek fulfillment in the world and not him, and we press him and his patience. It's our fault when we are in the spiritually weakened state. The psalmist here describes this, points out this is the state that the children of Israel were in, and then he gives very specific examples. And in these very specific examples, what we find are markers, symptoms, attributes, characteristics. In other words, behaviors that characterize a leanness of soul. Things that we can use to check our own lives. So let's talk about some behaviors that characterize the leanness of soul described here in this text. Those who are spiritually wasting and weak can be identified by certain behaviors. The first one, opposing those who speak truth. Those who abide in a spiritually weakened state because they have stepped away from God will oppose those who speak truth into their lives simply because they oppose the truth being spoken into their lives. Let's look at this, verse 16. When they envied Moses in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abiram. A fire was kindled in the company and the flame burned up the wicked. There were those who were obstinate to the spiritual leadership of Moses and Aaron. There in the camp of Israel, there are those who, they were just obstinate. That's the only word you can use to describe them. They opposed, they were set against those who were the spiritual leaders who spoke the truth of God to them. In fact, they opposed Moses and Aaron because they felt entitled to have that position themselves. If you go back and look this up, what you'll find is that these factions felt like, now wait a minute, 
We're entitled to set our own truth, to be our own spiritual leader. We, we could do what Moses does. Well, let's just take that spot for ourselves. I will assume the role of spiritual leader for myself and set my own standards because, well, I'm entitled to it. And in response, God opened up the earth and just swallowed them. Got rid of them immediately. My friends, those living in spiritual poverty oppose others who represent the truth of God. Those who are living in a spiritually weakened state out away from God and His presence will oppose those who speak the truth of God into their lives. That could be spiritual leaders within the church. That could be spiritual leaders within the home. That could be brothers and sisters of Christ who just care enough about them to go say, hey, can I talk to you? But they're going to oppose the truth being spoken into their lives. Why? Because they feel entitled to set their own narrative according to their own feelings. Have you ever visited with someone who's stepped out into the far country, living in rebellion to God, and really got to visit with them? They'll give you different justifications. They'll give you different excuses. But if you get down to the bottom layer, if you peel all the layers of the onion back and get down to the core, you know what it comes down to most of the time? Well, now look, I'm entitled to set things to fit my feelings. This is how I feel. I feel this way, so here's the narrative I want to live by. You know what? My feelings have no bearing on God's truth, and yours don't either. It doesn't matter how I feel, the truth of God doesn't change. It doesn't matter how I feel, God's standards are not Doesn't matter how I feel, I can't set my own narrative to change the truth God has already established. And so many people who step away from God and find themselves in spiritual dissatisfaction. When you get right down to it, what has happened is this. Their feelings aren't accommodated by the truth of God, so they've set their own narrative and walked away from Him. And now they oppose the truth when you try to share it with them. Because the truth doesn't fit their narrative to accommodate their feelings. Friends, I'm not allowed to create my own narrative. God has established the narrative for me in His Word. This is the truth and the standard of holiness. My narrative doesn't matter. So we find opposition to the truth. The truth confronts those who've walked away from God. It confronts erroneous narratives. It confronts personal feelings that aren't affirmed. The truth confronts the folly, the foolishness of actions and attitudes of walking away from God. Billy Sunday, a preacher and evangelist from a generation past, once said, the backslider likes the preaching that can't hit the side of the house. But the real disciple is delighted when the truth brings him to his knees. Sunday was right. There are a lot of people who love your preaching as long as no truth can even hit the side of a house. But if the truth hits them, whoa, wait a minute. I don't like that truth. Because it doesn't affirm my feelings or the narrative I live by. I don't accept that truth. That's okay, it's not my truth, it's God's. Those with a leanness of soul will oppose the truth, misinterpret the truth, misapply the truth. Just like the earth swallowed up Dathan and Abiram and that whole group, that which they chase after will swallow them up eventually too. Here's a second behavior that characterizes those who have a leanness of soul. And that's worshiping self-made idols. They come to worship self-made idols. This is seen here in verse 19. They made a calf in Hebron and worshiped the molded image. Thus they exchanged their glory into the glory or to the image of an ox that would eat grass. Y'all know what happened there. The children of Israel replaced their allegiance to God to an idol that they created, a golden calf. They traded allegiance to the true God to their own self-created idol, representing one of the idols they knew about in Egypt. They created an idol for themselves, bowed before it. They designed their own idol really because they had a leanness of soul. 
In their spiritually weakened state, they sought an idol of their own design in which they could try to find fulfillment because they were separated from true allegiance to God. The focus of their worship was that which they thought they could find fulfillment in. So I leave God and I chase after something else. And if I think I can find fulfillment in it, then that becomes my idol. And I begin to worship whatever that thing is. Be it philosophy or ideology or social movement or personal interest or people or whatever it might be. I chase after that thing because I've stepped away from God in my spiritually weakened state. I'm looking for spiritual satisfaction in this person or that movement or this group. And they become the focus of my worship. They become my idol. A self-made idol that I can worship to fit my narrative for my life. The focus of worship then is that which they approve of or that thing in which they find approval in. That group affirms me, now they get my worship. That movement affirms my narrative, now that group gets my worship. Those type things. Here's the thing, though, that which they worship, their idol, will never challenge their personal beliefs, undermine their own self-righteousness, simply affirm the own narrative they live in. The wasting soul worships the idols of their own desire, their own selfish ambitions, their lifestyle, their feelings, their quest for entitlement. That becomes their God. The worship of that God becomes their religion. And so their whole world becomes wrapped up in that movement, that ideology, that identity. And they worship in it. What happens? They have exchanged the glory that they could have had in God for a debased human idol of their own existence. Here's a third thing. A third behavior that characterizes a weakened and spiritually ill soul. That's refusing to acknowledge God's goodness. They refused to acknowledge God's goodness. Verse 21, they forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. The Israelites so soon forgot the outpouring of God's grace that brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea. And my friends, those who are spiritually weak, who are spiritually wanting they refuse to recognize the grace of God that is prevalent in their lives. The word forgot used here is the same version of the word used in verse 15. It is to deliberately ignore or just not care. I will ignore God's goodness or just not care that it's God who's actually moving. The implication is this. When I have a leanness within my soul, when I'm spiritually weakened or spiritually ill, there's this attitude of, I don't care that God did that good thing in my life. In fact, I don't want to recognize God did that good thing in my life. I don't need God to be the source of that good thing because I don't need God. So it's not God's outworking of grace. You know what it was? It was just, it was good luck I had. It was karma working out for me. It was the benevolence of kind-hearted human beings. It was my own fortitude where I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. It'll be everything in the world and the kitchen sink, but it will not be God's goodness in my life because I don't want to recognize God because my narrative does not accommodate God. I've walked away from Him. So credit for any good thing, credit for anything, any movement of grace, it has to be everything but God. Because if it's God... Well, then I owe something to God, and I need to interact with God, but I've already created my own narrative and walked away from God, so it can't be God. I refuse to recognize His goodness, His movement, and His work in my life. There's a fourth thing. And that's despising the provisions of God. Those who have a leanness of soul will despise God's provisions. Once again, still verse 24 and 25, they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word. They complained in their tents, did not heed the voice of the Lord. They despised God's provision and sat around and complained about it. What God gave wasn't good enough. 
Why didn't he do differently? Finding fault with God. Finding fault with God's plan. Finding fault with God's provision. What God did and what the psalmist references here is God chose or had the people choose 12 spies to go into the promised land. Come back and give a report. Ten of the spies came back to the people and they derided God's provision. They derided the promise God had made. They came back and said, no way. I mean, things look kind of cool, but we'll never take that. Stay away from it. Those people will squash us like bugs. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, came back and said, hey, God promised it. It looks good. Let's, let's follow God's promise. The people of Israel sided with the ten who despised what God had promised, despised the promise he made to bring it to pass. And God had them wander around until that whole generation died off. That's what's referenced there. This idea that God has done it, God has provided it, God has promised it, but it's still not good enough and I really don't like it and there's fault with it and there's reasons why it doesn't work for me. See, the one suffering from a leanness of soul will not be satisfied with God's provision. He or she will find fault with God, with what he's done, with what he is doing, with what he promises to do. They'll give you reasons why it doesn't work for them in their life. They won't be satisfied with God. They won't be satisfied with God's standards. They won't be satisfied with God's provision. But this really is simply because they have never truly sought satisfaction in God. They've never truly vested themselves fully and wholly in God and His sovereign plan and found the satisfaction that comes from abiding in His presence. They don't really desire to abide in God's will for that matter. So they can't rest in His provisions or find satisfaction in Him. Because they're entitled to their own path, their own way, their own means. And so when you talk to them, they'll give you one excuse for another why God doesn't work out for them. And why God's plan just hasn't ever helped them. How they've been let down and what all's gone wrong. Which leads right into the fifth characteristic of people with a lean soul. And that's doubting God's promises and disobeying His word. Still in that same two verses, they despised the pleasant land, they did not believe his word, but complained in their tents, they did not heed the voice of the Lord. If I jump down to verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, so they're not obeying the command of the Lord. What we find here is, I doubt God's promises, I really don't trust God, and I'm not going to obey what he says anyway. Israel doubted God's promise to bring them into the promised land. They, they disobeyed God once that next generation got to come into the promised land. They didn't follow God's command on how to possess the promised land. They doubted God to begin with and disobeyed God on the second part. They just totally stepped out. That's the person with the wasting soul who's spiritually sick. They continually doubt God and will continually reject His commands. They refuse to abide under His authority according to His word. In fact, they'll come to the place where what they really want to do is simply explain away God. A whole lot more than they want to believe in God. They're quick to give you all the reasons why God can't be because they have no desire to believe God really is. Because you know, if God doesn't exist, then my narrative is true. And if God doesn't exist, then there is no absolute truth. If God doesn't exist, there are no consequences to what I do or how I live. If God doesn't exist, then I can't accommodate my own selfish desires, my own selfish existence. But if God does exist, and he does have absolute standards, well, now I've got a problem. So I just choose to doubt God, and I won't abide in his word. And I won't conform to his standards. I'll accommodate my own selfish existence in doing that. 
See, those who will continue doubting and disobeying God, they do all they can do to compromise truth, to explain away truth, to do away with the absolute standards of the Bible, to misinterpret or change what it says. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll turn aside to fables. The person with the leanness of soul will ignore God, deny God, walk away from God, decline God's word and the absolute truth of God. But those who will still acknowledge, okay, yeah, there's God, and yeah, I do want to have some type of interaction, what they'll do is they'll find a redefinition of truth that fits their own narrative. But a redefinition of truth is just a lie because there's only one truth. If there's only one truth... Anything that varies is not true, right? So what they try to do is placate their violations of holiness by explaining why God's word is inaccurate or why God's word is outdated or why God's word has been erroneously explained, interpreted, or applied to their lives. Okay, it's God's word, but it's wrong. It's been misinterpreted. It's not up to date. And the sad thing is, they can very easily find a multitude of false teachers who will teach false doctrines to accommodate anything they want to hear. And so they can placate their own consciences, still denying God and disobeying His Word, but put the stamp of religiosity on it because they found a church to accommodate their feelings. Still doubting the promises of God and disobeying His Word the whole time. Here's a sixth thing that these people do. Sixth behavior that characterizes those who have a leanness of soul. That is assimilating into worldly culture. Verse 28. They joined themselves also to Baal and Peor, eight sacrifices made to the dead, Verse 35, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. The Israelites, God's chosen people, corrupted themselves by assimilating into the pagan cultures around them. They were always told to be distinct and separate. They had a covenant with God. In that covenant, they were to remain distinct and holy, separated only unto Him. Yet they mingled, they assimilated in with worldly culture, with the Gentile nations around them. They began to do and act and be like the Gentiles around them. They became such a part of the world's culture that God's chosen people were no different than the Gentile nations around them. They were just like the heathen that filled the world because they were so assimilated into the world. And those who step away from God to have a spiritually sick soul, a leanness of soul, what you find is this. They will embrace the world and assimilate into worldly culture very quickly because worldly culture will affirm them in their sin. Worldly culture will affirm them as they walk further away from God. They will assimilate into the world so much so that you can't tell them apart from anyone else in the world. The ideologies of the world, that becomes their ideologies that they live by. The tolerance of the world, that's the tolerances they begin to apply. The practices of those in the world, that becomes their personal practices. The beliefs of the world, well, those are the beliefs they now embrace. As they step further and further away from God and further and further into the world, they assimilate themselves into the world, they embrace worldly culture, and it begins to mold them to be like the world. These are the people who have forgotten God, ignored His wisdom, lusted after the world, and they come to this place of worldly immersion where now their identity is in the world, not in Christ. Their values in the world, not in 
Christ. Their identity, what they live for, who they long to be, absorbed in the world and nothing to do with who God has called them to be through Christ. There is no satisfaction of close fellowship with God. All their satisfaction is now found in the world. And rather being transformed by the power of Christ, the power of His Word, they simply seek to conform. To be accepted in the conformity of culture. And what happens without realizing it, they are taken captive. They lose control. They're not their own anymore in that the world controls them. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, Paul, church, or Paul warned the church there in Colossians, look, you've got to be careful. Because before you even know it, you mingle in the world, and the world will capture you. The world will take control of you, and the world will own you. You will be taken captive by their philosophy, by their deceit, by tradition, by elemental spirits, the base spirits. And it's dangerous to be taken captive by the world. Because the Bible very clearly teaches that the world system is dominated and controlled by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that plainly. That the world is controlled by Satan. To be taken captive by the world is to be taken captive by Satan. The Bible tells us that the world is passing away. And when I'm taken captive to the world, that which I'm taken captive of is a system that is not eternal. The Bible tells us that all that is in the world and of the world is not of God. So when I'm taken captive by the world, then I'm immersed and controlled by that which is not of God at all. And the Bible teaches us that conforming to the world makes it impossible to know and live in the perfect will of God. Paul says to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't be conformed, because in conformity you never live in the perfect will of God for your life. So when the world takes me captive because I've immersed myself in the world, I'm completely handicapped in pursuing the will of God in my life because now the world owns me. Those with a lean soul will assimilate into the world. One last thing, right quick. One last characteristic here we see. Those who walk away from God, who have a spiritual weakness, a spiritual leanness, are those who are being defiled before God. They're being defiled before God. Rather than walking in the holiness that they're called to walk in, walking worthy of the calling in which they were called, they are defiled before the Lord. Verse 39, thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. They were defiled, Hebrew, to may, to be unclean, to be impure, according to a set standard, specifically the standard of covenant. Now isn't that interesting? Here the psalmist says that the Israelites were considered unclean according to to a set standard, a standard of established covenants. The covenant that started with Abraham, passed down through Isaac and Jacob, all the way through the lineage. God is working to bring that covenant to fruition. He's leading His people to the promised land. He's doing what He said to do. Yet in that covenant, they had a standard they were to live by, and now they're deemed guilty by the standard that had already been set. They're declared defiled. They're declared unclean according to a set standard. It didn't really matter what the Gentile nations around them said. It didn't matter what the Gentile standards were. It didn't matter what the false religion standards were or what those prophets of the false gods said about their standards. The only standard that mattered was the standard of covenant that had been established through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked at his standard, looked at his people, and said, you are defiled before me. You haven't measured up to my standard. And when I walk away from God in a leanness of soul, assimilate into the world, and walk off in that far country, what happens is that I become defiled before my God. 
Those who would ignore God, ignore His authority, ignore His wisdom, ignore His provision. Those who would oppose His truth. Those who would worship their own idols. Those who would refuse to acknowledge God. Those who would despise God's work, doubt God, doubt His word. Those who would conform to the world. These are those who are defiled before God. Not because the world says you're okay, but because God says, here's my standards, let's see if you measure up. And you say, well, that covenant was Old Testament. You're right. But Paul speaks of a new covenant through the Lord Jesus Christ that we're called into. And through Christ, we're called into a new covenant with God. One which is a covenant of grace and mercy where I'm redeemed out of sin into eternal life simply with a repentant heart of faith, bowing before Jesus, calling out to Him, but then called to live up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then called to live up to the calling wherewith I was called. Then called to be holy, for I am holy. I still have standards to live up by, to aspire to, that I'm measured against. You see, those who walk away from God with a leanness of soul are declared unclean according to God's standards. The world can affirm them all day long, but what does God say? False teachers can condone their beliefs, but what does God say? They may seek to affirm themselves in their self-entitled state of existence, but what does God say? You see, God's standards are what matter. And you and I can walk away from God and have a leanness of soul, and we can feel good about ourselves, and we can feel like we're uh, affirmed. We can find some Bible teacher to interpret something to make us feel good, but the reality is this. What are God's standards? Because that's the standards that matter. Those are the standards we're held to. Those are the standards we're judged by. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, God is very plain about this. He says, in our wickedness and in our backsliding, we will be rebuked and punished and endure evil and bitterness. Because it's his standards. So I wonder, my friends, today, are any of us experiencing a leanness of soul? Are we in a spiritually weakened state? Have any of us drifted away from God into the world? Are we on the precipice of facing rebuke, punishment? My friends, if that describes any of us, what I would do is just beseech you today. Let today be the day you return. Let today be the day you're restored. If you continue reading the prophet Jeremiah, when you get to the 15th chapter, God also makes another very clear statement to those who have forgotten Him, who have ignored His wisdom, and who've looked to the world for fulfillment. To those people, Jeremiah 15, 19 says this, Therefore, this is what the Lord says, If you repent, I will restore you. You may be described by these characteristics, but here's what God says, If you repent, He restores you may know someone who this describes. Well, I want you to take encouragement because here's what God says. When they repent, He restores. I don't know where you're at with the Lord today, and I don't have to know. All I want you to do is respond to God however you need to.